M S W Media. And now, here's the universe letting us know it really doesn't want us to have a promo from Pitbull. I was wondering if you could do me one quick favor, say, hey, this is Pitbull, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Hello, Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it's... Oh. It's official. What are we drinking? By the way, you dropped Dan out. Dunn? You dropped out for a second there. So if you, your phone went out. Let's try one more time. Hello, Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. Play with it, darling. Yeah. I think the universe does not want you to promote my show. Every time you do it, it keeps dropping out. No. But don't, don't worry about it, man. One more time, Gigo. One more time. One more time, I'll try one more time, right? Here we go. I'm going to try one more time. All right. Stay little Chico Pet Boom, Mr. 305, better said, Mr. Worldwide, and it's official. You are listening to What Are We Drinking with Dan Dunn. You game play with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, man. <laughs> Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Dunn. Joining me in just a few minutes, the yum yum foodie himself, Eddie Zamora, will be on the program. Eddie and I are going to be drinking wine, a great white and a great red. The red is a Chianti Classico from Castello di Verrazzano. The white, he's going to be drinking a Riesling. I'm going to be drinking a Pinot Blanc from a producer called Trimbach from Alsace, region of France, although being from Philly, I pronounce it Trimbach Alsace. I will be pronouncing it or mispronouncing it that way throughout the rest of the show. Again, I'm from Philly, and proper pronunciation is not our forte, or as we say in Philly, fort. So yeah, that's going to be happening. I want to invite you to follow this show on Instagram, WWD underscore podcast you can also follow me on instagram at the imbiber as well as on twitter same handle i'll be posting some video from today's show there and it's going to be perhaps some of the best video you've ever seen but you can't see it unless you go there so consider yourself warned my speaking of philly my brother john is a philadelphia firefighter My stepfather, John, was also a Philadelphia firefighter. Unfortunately, John passed away in the line of duty in August of 2004, fighting a fire. So I have the utmost respect for the men and women who put their lives on the line doing that job for us. Okay? I got an Instagram message recently from a guy at Fire Department Coffee. Asked me if they could send me some, and I was all over it. I just want you to know this is not a sponsorship. I'm just giving it to you for real here. So Fire Department Coffee 
is a veteran-owned business certified by the National Veteran-Owned Business Association. They roast their coffee in Rockford, Illinois, or Illinois. That's right, Illinois. It's made by a dedicated team of firefighters, first responders, and, of course, coffee connoisseurs. They were inspired by the vital role that coffee plays in helping firefighters stay alert and energized through long shifts. I can tell you, again, from having grown up in it, you know, they're long 12-hour shifts that these guys and, and, and men and women are, are pulling. So it was founded, Fire Department Coffee was founded in 2016. Founder and CEO Luke Schneider is a full-time firefighter and paramedic, U.S. Navy veteran, and he teamed up with firefighter paramedic Jason Patton. Why do they reach out to me? Because among the many great styles of coffee they make, they have a line of spirit-infused coffees, and they are good. Their signature spirit infusion process combines the flavors of bourbon, whiskey, rum, tequila with their best coffee beans. You don't have to worry about your boss catching you drinking on the job, okay? Spirit-infused coffee is non-alcoholic. The alcohol is cooked out during the process, but leaves the subtle and sweet flavors of these real spirits. And I got to tell you, I've been drinking the vanilla bean bourbon-infused coffee, and I am really loving it. Every day I get up and I make my coffee and I, and I take it out with me while I walk my dog, and I have been so happy the past week drinking this vanilla bean bourbon-infused coffee. And part of it, too, is I feel good about drinking it because, look, when we're in trouble or danger, firefighters and, and first responders, they race to our side without a second wasted, without a second thought. So Fire Department Coffee Foundation is a 501c charitable organization that supports groups that help firefighters and first responders who are injured on the job, be it mentally or physically, or they're facing other serious health challenges. So each month, their first responder and firefighter support foundation directs 10% of net proceeds from Fire Department Coffee, as well as other charitable gifts to support these worthy organizations or individual heroes who are in need. And again, having lived through, having lost my stepdad and, and seen the level of support that came in and how much that meant to my family in the darkest time that we went through to ha to know that that kind of support is out there was immeasurable value to us. Uh, forget about the, the actual support financial and otherwise that they gave us just mentally what it did to know that these people had our back. And and so if you enjoy coffee and you enjoy the fact that there are people out there that are willing to risk their lives to save your life, go to fire depart F I R E D E P T coffee.com fire fire depth coffee.com and check it out, you know, buy some coffee and, and I guarantee you're going to dig it. I guarantee it. The other night I was home flipping through the channels, and one of my all-time favorite comedies I stumbled across, Old School. Anybody who's seen the movie knows there are so many hilarious scenes in that movie. Most famously, probably, at least in my opinion, is the scene in which Frank the Tank, which is played by Will Ferrell, does a beer bong at a fraternity party. Do it up again! Up again. so good! <laughs> Once it hits your lips, it's so good! <laughs> Okay, so this got me thinking about other memorable under-the-influence scenes from movies. And then I got my crack research team 
looking into it, and they came up with a few that I want to share with you right now. Let's start with a classic, Casablanca. This is the story of Rick Blaine, runs a nightclub in Morocco. He's played by Humphrey Bogart. And in the scene that I'm about to play, Rick is getting drunk at the nightclub, talking to Sam, the piano player. He have played again Sam fame. Rick's life had gotten turned upside down when his ex, Ilsa, Ingrid Bergman, walked into the club with her husband, Laszlo, a Czech resistance leader wanted by the Nazis. Rick's a mess. And this is what happened in one of the most famous scenes in film history. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Next up, we got Bridesmaids, directed by Paul Feig, former guest on this program. Paul, great dude. Artenstall, Artenstall, I can't pronounce anything. He's got a gin, Paul Feig. And uh, he was on this show. This has got to be my favorite scene from that movie. It's an, it's an iconic scene. Kristen Wiig's character, Annie, gets a little loopy on an airplane. Big whoop. Okay, let's, um, let's go take a nap. What do you say? Miss, you cannot be up here. Hello, Grandpa. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just want to be here with my friends because I'm with this group. Um, the sign just went off. Can't she stay up here for like a minute? Uh, just absolutely talk? not. Coach passengers are not allowed up here in first class. Really? It's policy. I'm sorry. Oh, this is a very, this is a very strict plane that I'm on. Welcome to Germany. On Fütterzen, asshole. <laughs> All right. Uh, why don't you go? Um, I'm gonna go down. take a nap. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm gonna there you go. I think it's a good idea. Catch you on the flip side, motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's. I'm a- leaving. Thank you. This should be open because it's civil rights. This is the 90s. Right. It's not. You're, you're in the wrong decade. Speaking of women who've been overserved, one of my favorite scenes from a really, really funny movie, The 40 Year Old Virgin, happens just after said Virgin Andy, that's Steve Carell, meets Nikki, Leslie Mann, while she's out celebrating a bachelorette party. Nikki is wasted. And Andy makes the mistake of getting in the car with Nikki, which I'm going to say right now, we never, never, you should never do that unless you're making a comedy, in which case you get gold like this. Come look at me now. Is your women now? And then I'm like, you are such a B-I-T-C-H bitch. And then like, people say you're the bitch. You know? Uh-huh, yeah. What was your name again? Andy. Andy. Let me tell you something, Andy. Don't ever be named Dan. Dan rhymes with man and men jerk off. And he was a jerk off. Do you know what I mean? Go look out! Wow. Um, Now, Lost in Translation is a 2003 film written and directed by Sofia Coppola. It stars Scarlett Johansson, Bill Murray, as Bob Harris. He's a fading American movie star who's having a midlife crisis. He travels to Tokyo to promote Suntory whiskey and encounters a, a difficult director who makes himself understood despite the language barrier. For relaxing times, make it Suntory time. Could you do it slower? 
More intensity. And finally, I saved the best for last. My favorite comedy of all time is Team America World Police from the South Park guys. And towards the end of the movie, our hero Gary finds himself in a bar lamenting his lot in life. And here it is. I'm completely lost. I've hit rock bottom. Easy, easy. Whoa, you got to calm down there, Chuck. I hurt people. I'm a dick. Oh, being a dickhead so bad. See, there's three kinds of people. Dicks, pussies, and assholes. Pussies think everyone can get along, and dicks just want to fuck all the time without thinking it through. But then you got your assholes, Chuck. And all the assholes want us to shit all over everything. So pussies may get mad at dicks once in a while because pussies get fucked by dicks. But dicks also fuck assholes, Chuck. And if they didn't fuck the assholes, you know what you'd get? You'd get your dick and your pussy all covered in shit. All right, that does it. Get out of here, you drunk lowlife. As the host of a show called What We're Drinking, people often ask me, hey, what are you drinking? When it comes to American-made whiskey, my go-to is Rabbit Hole. The unique recipes were created by their founder, a guy named Cave. He and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense in making their bourbon and rye. They have their own cooking methods and use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired, which almost nobody does. What you end up with is a line of bourbon and rye with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. What are you having? It's a question as old as the bartending profession itself. And if you ask me, the answer is Rabbit Hole. Joining me now, he's a judge on Dinner Takes All on BYU TV, which I watch all the time, given my religious background. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, he is also, he's better known. I don't know if he's better known, but he's known as the uh, Yum Yum Foodie. Check out his Instagram. He's got all kinds of cool stuff. He's always doing cool things, eating cool things. Welcome to the show, Eddie Zamora. Hi, Eddie. Hello, hello. Nice to meet you, Dan. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you on, man. And, you know, whenever I have a yum yum foodie on the show, of course, we drink wine because I think, As you right, yeah. probably more than any other adult beverage, I think wine is associated with eating fine food, right? Yeah, I think so too. It's funny. Um, it, there's a couple of things that, that have happened in the past, like just few minutes, um, and, um, and, and it's how things will flip you. And what I'm referring to is you talk about wine and fine food. And I still remember going to a restaurant called the Rieger in Kansas City, one of my favorite cities in, in, the, in the United States to begin with, Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm sitting there and this is like a fine dining, smoking, badass restaurant. But they had the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection for like dirt cheap. Okay. So with my New York Strip steak, I was like, fuck this. I'm not doing wine. I'm getting a glass of Thomas Handy Sazerac for 20 bucks with my friggin' steak. So I was there blown away by like the fatty steak with such a special whiskey. So I don't know. It's just funny that we talk about that. And like people assume find, you know, find wine and find that. And I agreed most of the time, but it was wild how that moment I said, you know, screw this, dude. I'm going to have this expensive ass whiskey that normally in LA would cost me $80 for a shot and it's 20 bucks 
uh, in KC, you know? You got to do it. We had uh, Phil Rosenthal was on the show last week. The, the most recent, I say, I say last week, it's podcasting. You can listen whenever you want. But the most recent episode before you was Phil Rosenthal, host of Somebody Feeds Phil. And Phil had a very, we were drinking uh, Bunahaven, which is a, a scotch. And Phil, when I asked Phil to close his eyes and say, you could be anywhere drinking this right now, where would you be? And he said, Peter Luger in Brooklyn with the steak, oh, yeah. whiskey with the steak. There it is again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we've got wine and uh, I, we've oh, got yeah. a, We've got a white and a red. I'm, and we're going to start with a white, I think. And I just want to kind of jump in. We're drinking, it's a Trimbach, T-R-I-M-B-A-C-H, not to be confused with Trimbach, which is what I've been doing with my hair uh, during quarantine. I've been trimming it back. It looks pretty good though, right? Don't you think? It works, man. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Now you're drinking, you're drinking the Riesling, right? Yes. I'm drinking the 2018 Riesling. Okay. I had an issue with my Riesling. (laughs) With uh, With a cork? It wasn't... (laughs) Let's just say the bottle was compromised. I'll just say that. There was, Fair enough. It wasn't it. corked necessarily. There was an issue that I'd never seen before, but that happened. So I've now moved. I'm going to drink the Pinot Blanc, and you're going to oh, drink cool. You're going to drink the Riesling. And I think what would be cool about this is then maybe we'll get to get a little bit of the, uh, the a little bit of both on this. And, and, and Eddie, not so much like what you're, you're tasting. I'll give you a little bit of background about this about this place you know for three centuries 13 generations they have been making this wine it's a very lively fruity elegant wine again the trimbach family dates back to 1626 jesus which is like bernie sanders old that goes back and this is in and this is in france Exactly. Yeah. This is in Alsace, France, is the region. This particular wine that you have is 100% Riesling. It's a very well-decorated wine. Wine enthusiasts, always in the in the low to mid-90s on wine enthusiasts. With their, and uh, this one gets aged in the cellar for several years before it winds up in the bot, before it winds up in the marketplace, excuse me, and it's 12.5% alcohol. It's a European wine. You're going to expect it to be a little bit lower in alcohol, which I enjoy. I'd like to know, what, what's your take on that? Do you like bigger, higher alcohol wines? Or do you like the more European style, lower alcohol wines? I mean, to, to be honest with you, I, every time I think I don't like something, I get turned around and I find a version of it that I like. So I, I, I guess it just depends on the mood and it depends on where I am. Um, you know, if, if I'm visiting Napa Valley, then I know what to expect and I know that's what I'm going to drink. If I'm drinking old world style wines, then this is what I expect. But, you know, unless I'm in Puglia and I'm drinking like a high alcohol primitivo or, 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 you know, something, something from the, from the South of Italy or Southeast Italy, uh, regarding this Riesling, I mean, first of all, I love Riesling and I tend to like the dry Rieslings. And I find that this, you know, this, this hits me exactly where it's supposed to hit me or where I want it to hit me. I would serve this up uh at, at, at my house any day of the week and it's uh it's just enough fruit it's just enough fruit it's like a nice soft off the palate and uh i want i mean you know to use all the cheesy terms but it's elegant it's a nice elegant it's a nice elegant riesling and i feel like and, and i looked it up and, and at the price point i think you really get what you pay for with it it's 30 bucks and uh I'm not. I'm so. I'm actually trying the other wine, which is uh, again, which is a Pinot Blanc, and this is even cheaper. They're about twenty six dollars a bottle, and I to me, this is just a, a glug glug. Well, this is a. 
very, very drinkable wine. I'm just, this is just the wine at the end of a, a nice warm day, a spring day, a summer day. You yeah. want to sit back, kick it back. That's what I want. This is just crisp and clean. And it's a very pure expression of that varietal. How's the acidity on it? Not, you know, you know what? It's, it's right there. Really nice Perfect, balance yeah. on it. It's, 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 you know, traditional dry style, I'll say white wine. And if you like that style mm-hmm. of wine for $26, you can't beat it. But the Riesling, I think, is the wine that they're better known for. Do, are you getting, I mean, is it that kind of, you know, with me, when I think about a, a very dry Riesling, I think about pineapple, tropical meats with some peach. And are you getting any of that stuff in there? Yeah, I get, I get, I get peach. And it's funny, I get like a, maybe it's just because I'm Cuban. I, I find guava so much flavor wherever I can find it. And I get that, just that little hint uh, that little essence of, of guava, which is something that I love. Like I would be, my, my only problem with this is I would end up going through too many bottles of this in an evening. And, and like if I, when I have, you know, when I could have friends over, um, I would be grilling, uh, you know, grilling fish or grilling chicken and rocking some of this while I'm grilling. Yeah. And then, you know, then maybe I'll have more, maybe I'll have more. <laughs> but, um, I imagine your life when I think about what you do and I, especially when I'm on your Instagram and again, the yum, yum foodie, you cook, you do a lot of cooking yep. on your own. You do a lot of demonstrations, yep. show a lot of videos. I, I just imagine you at home, you got, you got the great kitchen going, you got the bottle of wine going. It's a very idyllic sort of, when I think about that, you know, and, it, and it's something that you see in, a, in pop culture all the time on television, hey, let's cook and let's say, but it, there really is something to it, isn't there? Like just preparing a meal while you've got a bottle of wine open, maybe some music playing. I mean, it just mm-hmm. grounds you, right? There, There is a, it, it's an experience. So uh, maybe right now I'm not able to travel as much as I normally would. Um, but I feel that with, with something like wine, it transports you. It, it's that little slice of that particular place in the earth for that particular year, for that particular time that they grew it, for that particular, so it's that, that little slice that, that, can't be necessarily replicated from everybody from year to year and and wine always so i'm drinking now uh, well so let's say i'm I'm drinking the riesling and then i'm looking at our at our other wine at the red which we're gonna get to the red and uh i each wine to me has an essence of a story behind it and my own memories besides the wonderful histories that some of them might have but my own memories, I guess, are what I are, are what I attach so much to these wines. And I think of my my first uh, my first time I had like a, a an actually like a nice Riesling was on a cruise ship, and it was actually it was a really nice Riesling too. Do you remember? Do you remember where you were? I remember I was I was on I was actually on a cruise to Havana, Cuba, uh, and that was one of the wines that I had on board the ship before getting to the port of Havana from Miami to Havana. Yeah. That's where I was. I don't remember which uh, recently it was. I just remember, you know, look, because I'm, I'm a wine whore. So I'm going to go and look it up later and I'm going to be like, where is it? But And I saved it somewhere on my phone, um, but I can't remember off the top of my head which one it was. So we know this is the 2018 Trimbach Riesling. And 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 so everybody knows when we talk about Riesling and, and Alsace region of France, this is the most important wine grape variety there in that mm-hmm. region. It, arguably, you know, definitely in quantity and, and arguably in quantity or in quality but it's just i feel like rieslings from that region of the world are just a little bit richer and maybe more generous than you would get say from the from the rieslings of germany 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's that sunny micro, the, the, the mesoclimate that they have over there. Have you been to that region of France before? I have not. That is, it's funny on my, my bucket list, as far as wine regions are concerned, um, just France in general. I My grandfather, my grandfather was French and he his family grew wine in, ironically, in uh, southern Spain. Even though my grandfather was French, they were uh, outside of Barcelona. They had vineyards. Um, so it's it's at the top of my list as far as wine regions to visit is just, I mean, Rhone, Alsace, of course, Bordeaux, but just really go and spend some time in France. I haven't been yet. Have you? Have I been to, to France? Alsace? Or to, oh, to Alsace. No, I have not been. Yeah. Um, I've been all over France, just not there. But mm-hmm. I like you, I can't wait to be unleashed upon the world again and get to go this time this time last year when this podcast goes up i will i was in ireland and i was touring some distilleries over there doing doing the show and i knew covid you know we knew it was around we knew it was going on but i i don't i didn't even then i i didn't suspect no idea what was coming. And even when we shut down and they remember they were saying two weeks, going to be two weeks. And I thought to myself, how the hell, what, what am I going to do for two weeks? By my, how am I going to make it? How am I going to make it? I know, man. Lots of wine. I, know. I actually, I had it in December and it destroyed oh, you, me. You got it. I, I did. It kicked my ass. Wow. And I'm, I'm in good shape. I don't have diabetes. I don't have any, any kind of health conditions. And it, it, and it trashed me. Uh, and I was, I was pretty jacked up for, for pretty jacked up for a good week and i lost my sense of taste and smell for five days and that doing what i do scared the living crap out of me that is my you know that is my bread and butter that's what i uh, not only what i love to do but uh, i think you could take away my eyesight before you would take away my my sense of taste and smell it's just that's that's it's it's very scary my my i don't want to say on the show someone close to me got it and she reported that she lost her taste and smell a sense of taste and smell for quite some time. Yeah. And she was genuinely frightened. She said, you don't realize how much, how miserable you can be when you're just chewing Absolutely. food and that's it. You, you can't smell it. You can't taste it. Yeah. I, I mean, I got, I got very ill at first, but I had my sense of taste and my sense of smell. And then uh, when my fever broke for a few days and my, you know, my, my lungs were in really bad shape. But after that, that kind of broke and I started to feel going, going on the up and up. I said, you know what, man, let me make myself a New York strip and I'm going to pour myself a whiskey while I'm sous vide my New York strip. And I'm just going to have like a nice, you know, I think I, I poured myself a Stag Junior, uh, which is one of my favorites, like 131 proof. It's it. You, you taste it. It's, a, seri- it's a serious whiskey. Yeah. It's And anyway, so I go and, and I get my steak and I pour my whiskey. I take a sip of this whiskey. It tasted like water oh. and my steak tasted like a shoe. Yeah, and that's when I knew. Oh man! And I had already been stuck at home anyway. Yeah, so and, and I was like, I can't fathom not tasting these these beautiful experiences because I've basic, basically created my life now around that. Me and you both, brother. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be. It's an eye opening thing. I would be shit out of luck as well. So I want <laughs> yeah. you to do, I, then. I want you to do this now that you can. I want you to. I want you to take a sip of that that Trimbach Riesling. Close your yeah. eyes. Take a sip. And imagine a meal in front of you with this wine. Here we go. You're you're gonna take a sip. Pour, pour yourself I'm, I'm a little more. Get, pour yeah. myself a little bit more. And imagine what you're gonna. If you could have any kind of food with this, what are you gonna do? 
He's tasting. Mm-hmm. He's thinking. I know, right? But, sorry, actually, I take this seriously. Um, if I was going to have any food with this, I would probably be in in Barcelona. Um, and I would be doing a, a parrillada, which is like a grilled seafood grill out. Oh. And I'd be chomping on, on, you know, they call them gambas. I'm Cuban. We call them camarones, but the shrimp. And that's what I would be doing with like some garlic and yeah. Yeah. That's oh, what I would, man. I want to, I want to be there right now. now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Barcelona, Eddie. Let's do it. Know, Screw dude. it. Thumbs up. Let's do this. Man, that's just that. You know what? That just and again, I'm not drinking the reason I'm drinking. I'm drinking a different white wine, but I'm it, just the, the idea of that just sounds so amazing. And I think anybody out there that's listening, you know, hopefully this summer we're going to be able to start doing some of that stuff a little bit more, where you have more people around you. Because let's face it, this is it's such a communal thing it, it, for me, mm-hmm. and I, I think for so many people. Yeah, sure. I like sitting at home and I've gotten used to sitting at home drinking wine, especially during this year-long quarantine situation. But but there's just nothing better than sitting around with some friends and popping corks on good bottles of wine and, and making good food. And, and you know, you you really highlight that so well on on your Instagram and on your way on the things that you do. I mean, it, it, Yum Yum Fruity is a celebration, obviously. Of food, but also of, of of adult beverages as well. Yeah, I mean that would I would say that would be the catalyst to 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 how I started doing this was was a it, it still is it's a genuine passion for this and it's also a genuine feeling of if if I can do it you can do it if I can enjoy it you can enjoy it because I was the most uh, I don't want to say uneducated but let's say novice person in the world of of food and wine. And it was a, a meal in Barcelona that I had visiting a dear friend of mine who was studying abroad uh, that kind of made me feel like my entire life I was looking through a foggy set of glasses and it just like wiped them clean. And uh, that was and little that I know that 10 years after that meal, I would begin this journey, uh, you know, this, this yum yum foodie quote unquote journey uh, to kind of showcase those things for people and and. And, and it, it also drives back to a little bit to my, my grandfather, who the, my, my French Spanish grandfather, and he, he, he had Alzheimer's, unfortunately. But one of the things that I remember from him in his, in his illness was all he had were these phenomenal memories from back then. And even in his worst days of illness, they really couldn't, t- they could take his present memory away. But those fond memories, these meals that I get to have, those experiences, they couldn't take those away. And he still had those. Um, and and it just shifted for me. Something shifted for me where I thought more about creating memories than, you know, the car that's in your driveway or whatever. That's I, I couldn't care less about that. Did he live in Cuba? Did he live in France? Did he? So he grew up between Nice and Barcelona. So he spoke French, Catalan. He spoke Spanish. And then uh, when the Nazis crossed the French border, they fled to Cuba. And ironically, my grandfather was born in Cuba on vacation because back then it wasn't just like jump on a plane. It was put your car on a boat and take the boat across the Atlantic, go to Cuba and you spend a month in Cuba. And ironically, that was when my you know great grandmother, I guess, would have been pregnant. And my grandfather was born in Havana, Cuba while they were on vacation from either France or Spain. I don't know. Wait, your your grandfather was born there while the family was escaping the Nazis. In Cuba. They were born when they were on vacation. And then they come oh. back from vacation and he grows up in the south of France and uh, uh, and Spain, I guess, going going back and forth. 
Uh, he loved fishing. He lived in, in you know, the, the fishing areas of, of, of those towns. And then once, you know, that was happening where, where the, the, you know, the, the Nazis crossed over. You start thinking, you know what? Cuba's looking pretty good right now. Let's go there. Get out of here. Isn't that, yeah. isn't that fucking crazy? And then that's how, at least on, on my mother's side, my grandfather ended up in Cuba, which is just wild. So were you born in the States or were you born in Cuba? I was born in North Cuba, which is Miami, Florida. Uh, yeah, I was born and born and raised in Miami, Florida. Born and raised in Miami. Do you have yeah. you, you get to go back to Cuba? I've been twice. Uh, I've been twice to Cuba, both times on uh, with one of one of the, the brands that I work with who who traveled to Cuba, uh, and I was blessed enough to go on the inaugural trip on their inaugural trip to to Havana, this brand, and uh, it was I mean it was a, a really eye opening experience. For, for me to see kind of your origin story. And how is the, what's the food culture like in Cuba? I mean, it's a challenge because there's not a lot of food. Uh, there's food for me as a tourist that can spend euros and dollars and all that kind of thing. But for the locals, um, there's a saying that we Cubans say, and uh, in Spanish it's, I can resolve it, which really just means I got to make do, I got to resolve. In other words, you're always solving problems. Resolve means to resolve. And they're always trying to figure out how they're going to, okay, I got steaks from Joe. I'm going to trade this with Joe for steak because he was able to get some steaks. And, and it's that kind of a thing. It's like this crazy barter community system. Now, as a tourist, I was able to experience things that the Cuban people can't. And I had, uh, there's a very popular dish, uh, Cuban dish called langosta enchilada. It's, uh, it's like a lobster in this, in this red sauce. Um, like I said, not spicy, but an acidic tomato sauce. And I had it in Cuba. And it was probably the best one I'd ever had, uh, ironically, because I really expected the worst just because of circumstances. And no, it was that that dish was that dish was outstanding. Like the cocktail culture in Cuba is great. You know, a lot of a lot of rum drinking, but there's oh, some sure. cool, of course, some cool yeah. cocktail spots. Yeah. Um, but the food was I was pleasantly surprised. But then at the same time, it's it's it can be a little saddening knowing, you know, knowing the background of it that you get special treatment because you're, you're spending money from another country. It's pretty incredible. Just when you're telling your story now, it's got to keep you humble. When you think about your story and the things that you get to do with food and the places you get to go and the things you get to experience to think that your family had to escape the Nazis, had to go to, and then they go to Cuba and then they got to fucking escape Cuba to get here. Mm -hmm. And and it's just, it's pretty, like the struggle is so real for you. And I got to imagine, it must really give you a lot of perspective on, on where you are now. And yeah, I don't, I don't take a second for granted for what I do. Um, And I'm so, I'm so blessed. I mean, I don't, I don't like to say, lucky i think lucky sometimes is a term that's used because i've worked my ass off i have an extremely hard work ethic so i don't i don't take luck into into account i mean there always is some kind of luck and some circumstance but i think you i think there's opportunities in life all the time you just have to be mentally there to to realize that they're there where some people are so in their head or, or whatever so i i'm very blessed and very lucky in that sense to uh to to i guess have the wherewithal to be present to it but yeah man i, I don't take a second for granted when i know I know what my parents went through, you know, both my parents, what, what they went through. And when they came from Cuba, they didn't come with the intention of staying. Their intention was to go back to Cuba. That, you know, that did not end up happening. Um, my, you know, my mother, my mother left Cuba, I believe when she was 18 years old and she died at 66 years old, never going back 
to 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 where she was born. Never got to see it again. Never got to see it again. And for me, getting to see it in the first time it was an extremely emotional experience for me. I can't, you know, I, I can't put my finger on on how you feel, but when you grow up the way you do or the way I did, and and then to go and and be there and and see the people and and actually feel because uh, you know Miami is yeah it's a huge Cuban population but it's still you're not on the island it's a different experience there so to see that firsthand to smell the ocean firsthand there to open up a bottle of rum uh, go to la bolita medio and have a mojito there or go to a floridita and have a Hemingway daiquiri there and and really like experience that man you know you pinch me like I, I'm if, if today is my last day on earth, I have done so much. I've been so lucky. My mom is wherever she is knowing that she left so that I could have, you know, not even knowing that I would exist one day, but that I could have the, the opportunities that I have now. And I don't take it for granted. And I'm always supporting uh, people that are kind of like following whatever they're, I know it sounds hokey, but man, I'm all about like follow your dreams, whatever that is. I was watching one of your videos and, and you were talking about how the smell of coffee evokes these memories of your mm -hmm. parents and you were you were real and i was getting emotional watching it i appreciate that what is it about coffee that it makes it stirs up these memories of your parents because in in you if you grew up in a cuban household coffee is because not everybody drinks not everybody uh, uh not everybody goes outside and has a cigarette but coffee is something that most of the population of cuba drinks and Whenever anybody would come to my house as a kid, it's like, oh, yeah, Kimba, who's going to make cafe? Oh, you're going to make cafe. And, and it's just the smell, the, the sound of the percolator on, on the stove. So I'm pointing at my stove. The sound of the percolator on the stovetop, uh, the sound of we do something called espumita, which means foam. And literally, it's just a pile of sugar. And they put the initial drops of the percolator coffee in there, put it back on the stove, and they whip it to make like a foam. And then once you pour the coffee back in, the little foam comes up to the top and it's like a sugar foam, basically. Those things just conjure the, the best memories of my life, which are growing up in Miami in the 80s, you know, fam family coming over, Celia Cruz music playing in my house. And coffee is one of the things that espresso in particular just makes me think of my hometown. Uh, uh, we have something called in Miami called La Ventanita culture, culture. And we call it, we don't call it a ventanita culture, just called la ventanita. Ventanita is a little window. A ventana is a window, ventanita is a little window. And every just about Cuban restaurant in Miami has a little window with a little bar across and you just walk up to it and you order your espresso from sometimes a happy or sometimes an ornery old Cuban lady who's just going to make your espresso and it costs you 50 cents. And then, you know, you talk politics or you talk whatever with whoever the people are around. You talk about the Dolphins game or the Miami Heat or whatever. Um, and, and, and those, those memories to me, I cherish them so much because I grew up in such a great time in my hometown. I saw Miami become what it's become now. <laughs> Sorry. It's a long story around it, but coffee does that for me. No, man. I, I, you know, and, and honestly, you, you, you said it earlier in the show and, and it's so true. It's especially, and I don't know what your economic background was, but I can tell you like mine, we didn't have much, you know, but we did, no. my mother's family's Italian and my dad's Irish, but my, my mom's side of the family, Fabrizio, especially. Mm -hmm. So food was so important and so much care went into it. And it, and it was a thing you had, you know, much, yeah. but you know what? My aunts, my grand, they could make a 
fucking mean pasta. They could make a mean lasagna. Everything yeah. was homemade, everything. So we, we might not add a lot of creature comforts, but those smells, those, when you were talking about that, I remember my grandfather used to make coffee in like a tin, a tin pan, like tin, uh, uh, pot, a little tin pot, yeah. like make it in there. And, you know, and, he, and he'd have the cigarette going and all the, and all of those smells would mingle. And it was such an integral part of my childhood. And I have been in places, especially Europe, where I've maybe gone to small towns, small villages where they don't have as many bells and whistles. They don't have the, 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 the latest equipment or whatever. And they're still doing things that, that old school way. And, it's almost overwhelming. Every once in a while, I'll catch a whiff of something that reminds me of such a simple time in my childhood where one the great pleasure you had was whatever that meal was going to be that night. And, uh, you know, it, it can really move you to tears. And you and I are going to have a – we're going to create a memory right now with a red wine. Here we go. Let's do this. Let's because we, we do have some red and uh, oh, yeah. this one and, and by the way I love screwing up the names. You can probably help me even though this is a ten, but it's Castello di Verrazzano. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think I'm so. saying that right. Yeah, or, okay. I, uh, I would think with a double Z, does mozzarella have two Z's? So maybe Verrazzano. Verrazzano. Okay. Yeah. Or maybe just I'm trying to think because you know mozzarella is two Z's and it's it has that T C H kind of sound. So maybe it's Verrazzano. I don't know. I'm making this shit up. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, we can make it up. So yeah. they, this is a uh, this is a winery. Luigi, gotta love it, right? Luigi and Silvia Capellini. <laughs> that's who makes it, and uh, they produce these traditional organic wines that, that have a. This winery has a really great following around the world. They've been certified organic since 2014. This is right in, uh, Hilltop and Grieve, which is in the heart of the Chianti Classico region which is in tuscany mm-hmm. they've got a yep. 220 acre estate 120 acres of vineyards gardens it's just amazing and this castle that surrounds it has been around since the 10th century and these vines have been cultivated since 1170 man those were before bernie Sanders. even before bernie <laughs> there's some soul in this and the one we're drinking right here is the castello de verrazzano the Chianti Classico 2017. This is 95% Sangiovese, which is a, the dominant grape mm-hmm. over there. It's aged in French oak for 12 months. It does another four months in the bottle prior to release. And I'm excited to try this one. It's a, this is a $28 bottle of wine. Everything, you know, the, what we're having tonight, for all this under 30 bucks, you can't beat it, right? So let's let's take a sip of this and see what we what we get here, Eddie. Mm. Oh yeah, that's good. Nice, nice firm tannins. No, it's nice, and it, and it's it's funny because Chianti was one of those grapes, or Sangiovese in general was a grape that uh, it goes to show how your body changes. Because there was a period of time in my life where I didn't drink as much of it. I also couldn't afford the good ones, so you know it's one of those things where you get one that's like not ready to drink, and you drink it, you're like, eh, not so much. This is killer for under thirty bucks. This is dry. I, I think to me, it, it's it's a dry yeah, wine, absolutely. very soft tannins. Uh, you know, the red fruits. There's a, a tiny little bit of mint. I'm getting. You're getting a little mint on it. Um, it's a really steady. It's delivering what you want out of Chianti Classico. If you're a fa- like you said, it's it's an interesting thing you say that because not everybody is a fan of Chianti Classico. I friggin' love it, right? But I do have friends that don't don't like it, especially to love it. Yeah. Out here in California, especially because I think it is a, it's so different 
than what oh yeah than what you're Absolutely. getting out here than the wines <laughs> yeah. that you're, that, are, that that thrive in California are a very different than what you're getting in from Chianti. So, but this, if you like it, I mean, now what would you, let's try that again, where you take a sip of this. And now what do you, uh, think about it, get that thing going. And now what, what, do, where are you and what are you eating? Um, so look at the focus is, look at it. Do you take your time? Look at so this takes me, this actually takes me back to a, a, a great memory that I have. And I was so jet lagged, but I still remember how great this memory was. And uh, I had just gotten to to Florence, and I was staying at a hotel within a stone's throw of the Duomo. It's a beautiful dome right there in the heart of, of Florence. And my first objective when I got there was like, dude, I need to get on the fucking roof of this hotel, and I need to have a glass of wine, and I need to see the damn Duomo in front of me. Like, I just need to see it right there. I need to see what people walk by every day, and they're so used to seeing it that they don't give a shit about it, and I get to be so in awe of experiencing that so i think i had up there i remember i had like this nice crostini uh uh with a low local it may not have been a, a mozzarella but it was definitely that style of a cheese uh with fresh herbs on top and that is what i'm remembering right now so thank you so much for unknowingly bringing this memory back to me i appreciate cheers, it man. cheers and, yeah. and you bringing that up just brought me back. I've been to Florence numerous times, and and man, the food culture there is so good. I'm so good. You know what's funny for me? I had never had gelato before I went to Florence for the first time. Okay, and I I, I nearly orgasmed. I think having the gelato. That's an image no one wants in their head right now. But it was the first time. If you have gelato for the first time, and it's right off the square in Florence. <laughs> You know, yeah, I think I, I think I had just come from the Uffizi Gallery, which, you know, and oh, one of the so most beautiful. amazing yeah, art amazing. galleries in the world. And then I went and I got and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna try this gelato. And I think I, and I was I, I remember it was chocolate gelato. And holy shit. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, really for you. that is heaven. That is just pure heaven. And uh and again, it's amazing how just sipping this wine can can take you back there, can take you back to these memories. Now, let's try it again, the pronunciation of my script. Castello di Verrazzano. You want the tss, tss I would on the Zs? So, but I, you know, I think so. Just because I always try to think of it of words that I know in English and how they're pronounced as Italian words like mozzarella. So I would think Verrazzano. I think. I don't know. And, and what's cool about this is you just feel it. Look at that bottle. Look at this bottle right here. This guy's not fucking around. This guy on this bottle, oh no, he's serious about his wine, right? Yeah, yeah no, no, he'll he'll get angry at me if I don't finish the bottle. That's you know when you drink this, you know when you drink this, it's not going to taste like Boone's Farm. You know what I mean? Like this Correct. guy, this guy would not be on the label if it's going to taste like Strawberry Hill. This is serious wine. There's a history to it, and I, and I get flashbacks from Chianti because I worked at a uh, one of my first jobs was at an Italian restaurant in Miami. Um, and you know, back then I, I couldn't look at a wine list and know what anything was, but I do remember, uh, the Chianti Classico that they always had. And it was like the little wicker, little, little wicker oh, bottom bottle that were turned it. into, that were turned into candles later. Um, and I used to be that, you know, quote, uh, it's, it's been many years since, so I can get away with saying it now. I used to be that kid where if somebody left like a three quarter bottle, when I went to bust the table, 
that cork would go back on and it would make its way into my backpack. Um, of course, man. Uh, and I remember just, just, just really, really fond, uh, really fond memories. And then it's, it's like an old friend. I, I lost touch with Chianti for X amount of years. And, and then I would say as recently as like two or three years ago, I started getting back into appreciating not just Chianti, but Sangiovese in, in general, Brunello and, and uh, uh, all, all the all the Tuscan region wines. Do you know Eddie? Because when you brought this up, I, I don't. I don't actually. And it's. I'm embarrassed to say. What's the deal with the wicker on the bottle? Because now I'm remembering, like when I was a kid, we. What? Why is the wicker on the bottle? Any idea? Do you have I any have idea? no idea. And in my joking mind, I'm like, people are so shit faced that they just need something that the bottle won't tip over if they accidentally hit it. <laughs> I gotta. I gotta find this out now. If only there was some invention. That would tell us, like, <laughs> if only there was something uh, that would tell us. I'm gonna, you know, all right. Let me, let me wicker I will online. Tell you about this. Anyway, about this. I, I opened this up about an hour before, uh, you know, before we got on, and I like to see an evolution of wine. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of, kind of into that. So I poured it, and I always take a sip, and then I'll sip it again in 30 minutes, and then that kind of thing. And it's really nice how, because. Uh, you know, it's a 2017, it's only a four-year-old wine, but it feels like it's got so much age on it, uh, more more than expected. You know, of course, it doesn't taste like a 20-year-old uh, wine, but it definitely does not taste like a four-year-old wine. It definitely tastes like something you can drink now or you can lay down for a minute. Uh, James Suckling gave this a 94. Rock on. This is a, a wine of, of no mean merit here. And for again, for that price point, you can't beat it. Are you... Are you thinking about when we come out of this? If you you mentioned earlier, sort of your bucket list. If you could go to any any wine region or two right now, when we get out and you can travel again, I mean, where do you want to go? What's top of the list? It, it, so my my two tops are. I, I can't just say like a particular region. I have to go country by country. Um, so yes, France. You got to get, cause I've, I've done some wine tasting in Italy. I have not been blessed enough yet to do Tuscany or Piemonte, which, you know, I'm, uh, as much as I love uh, San Giovese, I love Nebbiolo and I love Barolo as well. I think they're, they're like almost, uh, I don't know, like, like one of them is Dan Marino and one of them is Joe Montana. They're both, they're both superstars, right? I would also like to do, I'm a big, big fan of uh, Tempranillo. So if you give me, get Spain. me to Rioja, Rivera del Duero, Priorato. So have you been, have you been to Rioja? No, I have not. Okay, so what I will say to anybody out there in terms of wine tourism, Rioja is incredible not just because of the wine and not just because of the vast differences between the big producers and these little tiny producers, but architecturally, you'll find buildings in Rioja that are unlike you'll find old school look like castles, wineries, but then some of the most mind-blowing modern architectural wonders i'm talking about wonders these are wineries i've never been anywhere else and i've been all over the world going away yeah. i've never been anywhere else that is more striking architecturally and more diverse than rioja region of spain and as eddie said i mean the wines are fucking amazing <laughs> yeah i mean i, I well, you know it, when 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 I started doing this and you know I wasn't having wines blessedly sent to me to taste and I was going out of my own pocket 
I found that you get so much bang for your buck with the wines from Ribera del Duero, with the, you know, like one of the most iconic wines from that region is a, a wine called Vega Cecilia, Vega Cecilia Unico. And if that wine was a quote unquote French first growth, like, you know, Chateau Shield or, or Chateau Brion or, or, or uh, sorry, the names are, some of the names are eluding me right now, but those would be $500 a bottle. But sure. Vega Cecilia Unico is still a lot of money. It's a $200 a bottle, but you're getting the creme de la creme, let's say, glow, international creme de la creme wine for a third of what it would cost if it was the creme de la creme of France. And I find that, I always found that interesting. And I don't know, it's, it's uh, I, I just like the diversity too. By the way, just so everybody knows, the, the, the Gary, Frank Gary designed the Guggenheim in Bilbao, Spain, which is it. And then the winery is called uh, the Marques de Resca. Uh, you say M A R Q U. Yes. Yeah, that's in, and it's, With a- you know, and it looks like if you've seen the Disney concert hall, uh, that's what it looks like. And it's, it, but it's pretty striking that that's a, a winery. Oh, and it's and I love that wine too. I think that's a solid for a bank for that's a quote unquote bank for your buck wine. If you're a, if you're a, trying to get introduced, let's say to Rioja right now, and you're like, you know, I want to get a good expression of Rioja, but I don't have a ton of dough. You can get the current release of Marquez Rical for I don't know if you're a Costco member, sometimes eleven bucks. And it's crazy. It's crazy, and I want to say the current release is like a 2006. That's another thing about Spanish wine is they hold on to their shit for a minute before they put it on the market. It's like eating over there, you know? Yeah, it, uh, yeah. Buy, go, go look for a 2006 Napple wine right now and see how much they're going to charge you. It's, exactly. It ain't going to be $11 at Costco, and it's a, a reserve, you know? Well, here here's the thing, Eddie. You know, we had these great wines here. We had French, we had Italian. But now you've thrown out so many other wine varieties that you like that now it, we have to have you back on. You're going to, we're going to have to do, uh, argue with you. we're going to have to do Nebbiola. We're going to have to do Barola. We're going to have to do Tempranillo. I'd be honored. Uh, Cause I, I, one thing that I, that I, that I do, or at least I think of is I've actually never had some training and that's been on purpose because I like to look at things as a consumer. Um, and I like to kind of read it on my own as a consumer and I like to learn about what the grapes are and all that kind of stuff. So I love to explore those wines with you as just a, a pure consumer who, who, who likes wine, likes wine a lot. You know what, man, it's, it's a deal done. We'll, we'll do it soon. Eddie's more. It's, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Everybody yum, yum foodie, get them on Instagram. It's a, it's a really great, you got to follow there. Anything else you got going, Eddie, you want people to know about right now? Uh, well, I will be launching a, and I will, now that we're on the air, I'm going to ask you this now, because I want you to be a guest on my podcast, which should be launching, uh, in the next month and change. And we will be talking about booze and we'll be talking about wine and food. Um, so I have a, a podcast that I'm working on that I'm really, really excited about If If you can tell, I like talking about food, wine and travel. So I'm excited about that. And, and then of course, you know, dinner takes all. You heard it here first. Eddie's Mora. Been a pleasure, man. And we will have you, we'll see you back here soon and I'll see you on your show. Cheers. And finally, I should leave you with a funny. An American, a Frenchman, and a Russian are stranded on a desert island. They build a shelter and they catch fish for food. One day they catch a magical golden fish who cries, If you spare my life, I'll give you each two wishes. Amazing, says the American. I wish for a million dollars and to be back home. Poof, he's gone. 
Sacre bleu, shouts the Frenchman. I wish for a million euro and to be back home. Poof, he vanishes. The Russian is amazed. Future, look at that, he says. And just when we were getting along so well. Tell you what, just give me three cases of vodka and bring my friends back. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 